Welcome back to the podcast. Today, uh, I want to go over something simple, give, you know, try to cons- uh, consolidate a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. There have been you know, pretty in-depth conversations, if you guys are following with me. Some of these are three-hour conversations, and some of them are you know, a lot shorter. But there's so much information, and you know, I'm, I always uh, pride myself in being able to shrink things down and hit the highlights, you know, hit the hot, the, the high spots on um, different topics. So uh, right now, I'm just going to call this, you know, the top five ways to boost your boost your health right now. Top five ways, uh, because I want to be able to get into uh, five sort of different categories that I think you can divide um, health into or uh, tasks into to get healthier. Okay, so because, you know, I don't know how much I need to um, explain uh, the dire need in this country for becoming healthier. I looked up some basic stats, you know, obesity, 42% of the population now is obese. And if you're paying attention to the science on uh, the latest um, virus that's uh, still circulating around, you'll find that it's a really attack on the obese. Um, we're 42% obese. Um, one, of, it's one out of three adults. So one out of three adults is defined as obese. And uh, that, that obviously is horrifying because it leads to so many other diseases. Um, usually if you're obese, there's some behaviors you're doing to achieve that, if that's the right word. Um, so that, those, those behaviors lead to a lot of other dis- associated diseases. If it was just vain being heavy and that was all it was, it wouldn't be too bad. But that obviously leads to all the big diseases, I'm sure you know. Uh, 19.3% of children were obese in 2019. Okay, 2019, 19.3. Go to 2022, three years later, 22.4%. So we went from 19.3 to 22.4 in three years in childhood obesity. And we did a podcast on childhood obesity uh, a couple months ago. Uh, I think that came out pretty good. Listen to that one if you want to get into the specifics of that. But um, children, obese children tend to stay obese and tend to fall into you know, poor, uh, continued poor health into adulthood. So it's a very serious thing, like anything in the formative years, you want to make sure that habits and, um, you know, uh, people's health is going in the right direction when they're, especially when they're little ones, because that tends to linger, unfortunately, uh, leading to bigger problems. So that's basically diabetes, 26.8% of adults over 65 um, and, you know, and older are diabetic. So 26.8% of people over 65 are diabetic and that comes with a whole load of expense and suffering. That's one in four adults. Uh, childhood diabetes is increasing every year. That just continues to go up. And you can divide those into you know type one and type two. Type one tends to be a little more genetic. Type two tends to be lifestyle, you know, not moving enough and uh, eating the wrong foods. And there's a, can be a predisposition for that as well, genetically. Heart disease, 7% of the population, 20 and older have heart disease. I can remember a study done on 19-year-olds that, uh, unfortunately, were lost during the Vietnam War. They took, uh, you know, young young boys mainly, 19 years old, and they uh, studied them, and they found uh, the markings of heart disease at 19. And these are soldiers; these are people in pretty good shape. Uh, who knows if they smoked and dietary things that that wasn't part of the study? I don't believe. But just imagine at 19, you're already showing signs on autopsy of heart disease. And that was back then, you know, and uh, we were healthier back in the, in the sixties and early seventies than we are now by a lot, by a lot. Um, so <clears throat> that's a number one killer in the U S 610,000 people per year die of heart disease. Uh, average death age of heart disease is 71 years old. 
and the symptoms of heart disease are very, very minimal. That's why we have so many great tests. Um, so, you know, get to your MDs and get your tests done. Do stress tests, do the echocardiograms, do what they want you to do to look at this stuff. Watch your blood pressure, it's very serious, and keep after those things. Um, cancer, 1.6 million people diagnosed with cancer every year in the US. 1.6 million people diagnosed with cancer every year. 600,000 people die from it every year in this country. So obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, one thing they have in common is a good portion of that is preventable. It is lifestyle related. Some of that's genetic. Uh, I, you got to be fair. Some of that is. So, uh, but a lot of that is inborn uh, ha habits that are uh, formed during the formative years, ages zero to seven. What have your parents, teachers, and peers shown you as far as habits, health habits, um, and that, you know, that's what I'm in the business of changing, trying to get people to come around and uh, make the changes necessary. So today, top five ways of boosting your health. Let, let's start out with something that, you know, uh, I, we talk about all the time, and that's exercise, right? Exercise is so important. One of the ways I look at it is <clears throat> we have a heart that moves our blood. And I'm sitting here right now, and my heart is beating at a resting pace, and blood is getting to a certain depth of the body. To get it to the next level, we need to move our body. Our muscles are like a heart, right? Tiny, tiny little chambers will fill with blood. And when you contract those muscles, that blood moves to a further area, deeper into the body. So our second heart is the muscular system. So when we beat the muscular system, contract it through exercise and motion, weight training, resistance training, all the things that we know, exercise, that blood goes deeper. <clears throat> How could that not be valuable? We're oxygenating the deeper tissues. We're cleansing the deeper tissues by putting a pressure into that system and uh, circulating that blood at a higher rate than if you're just on the couch like a potato, right? So why is it important? What can we do? Well, we know why it's important. What can we do? What's simple? Let, 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 let's summarize. Um, if you look at the amount of time somebody should be exercising, it varies greatly. Um, there are people that'll go, well, 20 minutes a day, right? 20 minutes. That's not bad. And depending on where you're at, when you're going to get started, that's going to seem like, you know, uh, you know, pulling teeth. And then as you get into it and you get maybe a little bit more attracted to exercise, you see the results, you start to feel the chemical changes in your body and your mind, you start to feel that exercise high and things start to go really good. You might want to bring it up. Uh, I hope you bring it up um, to, I would say, a two hour uh, workout per day. OK, so 20 minutes to two hours, a lot of difference. Right. And, and I'm not telling you, oh, you know, oh, I can't do two hours. I'm not going to bother. Do the 20 minutes, okay? Start with 20 minutes, see what it feels like. Push yourself a little bit. Always check with somebody. Make sure your heart and, and your, your body's okay to be doing these exercises. You don't just jump out there without any guidance. Uh, we've had personal trainers on uh, here a few times and uh, you know, seek professional help in that area or be very, very cautious and be mild when you do it, but get started. So 20 minutes to two hours is a good way of saying the time. One of the quickest you know, bang for the buck type of workouts is uh, I like interval training. Uh, they, one of them is called the peak eight. You basically exert yourself for 30 seconds and then you do something very mild for 30. What I do personally, and I'm in shape and I've been doing this for a long time, is I'll go on the bike path and I'll use those tenth of a mile markers and I'll sprint a tenth and then I'll walk a tenth and then sprint a tenth and then walk a tenth until I've done that eight times. And usually that turns out to be about 30 seconds of sprinting, and about 90 seconds of walking. You can do 30 90s or 30 60s. You know, if you want to be a little more challenging, sprint for 30, walk for 60. But I do the 90 just so the tenth of mile markers match up. And I find that after doing eight of those, I'm pretty burned out. It's pretty cool. You really burn a lot of energy. 
It enhances metabolism. So you're getting a lot of calorie burning with that kind of workout. It's, you know, it's referred to as interval training because you're doing things in intervals and, or the peak eight exercise program or HIIT training, Tabatas. These are all words people use to uh, give this idea of doing an exertion and a rest and an exertion and a rest versus just plain trotting or, you know, doing sets with weights because this is an aerobic set in a, in, in a sense, 30 seconds. And believe me, the first couple you do, I'll warn you, the first couple of you are going to seem easy, right? You're going to try really hard for 30 seconds and then do your 90 uh, sort of uh, in a mild thing. If you're on a bike, you pedal hard, then you pedal easy. Um, right around number four, it starts to get interesting. The 30 seems really long and the recovery isn't as quick. You feel like, oh my God, I'm still breathing pretty heavy and I gotta, I'm got i ready for, you know, the 90 seconds went by. And by the time you're doing the eighth one, it should feel like you're, you know, really, really moving oddly. Like when I do my last of my sprints, the eighth sprint, I look like I have something wrong with me, right? I'm running at some altered gait. I look kind of weak and like I'm going to kind of fold up uh, on, on the sidewalk there. But that, you know, that, and that's proof that I did it right, right? Because the last one really burns and it's tough. So uh, one way of doing it. Um, I always tell people to get a fitness tracker and track your calories burned. Let's say you're doing a workout in the gym and you think, yeah, I'm putting good effort out here. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. If you have some kind of fitness tracker, it's going to tell you how many calories did you burn? I like to burn somewhere between 500 and 1,000 calories in my workouts. And that seems to be, you know, that, and that's somewhere around, you know, an hour to two hours worth of working out to get that in, uh, depending on what I'm doing, uh, intensity and, uh, and all that. But that's a nice way of saying, you know, I did what I'm supposed to do today. So if you're beyond the peak eight, let's say, and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to start out with the peak eight exercise program, the interval training. Now I'm going to do some weights. You know, you put that all together and you want to burn somewhere between 500 and 1,000 calories, in my opinion, okay? That's uh, some. If you're going to go walk, just plain walk, you can walk out 500 calories. You know, it might take you a while, but that's uh, also very good because you're burning some of that food that you're eating, right? It's not sitting dormant in your bloodstream, being deposited as fat and, and you know, having a triglyceride issue and all the other stuff that isn't so good. Having, you know, sustained high blood sugar because you've eaten and you haven't burned it and it's floating around for a while. So... Um, another hint for exercise is just make your life more active. Try to do things that are a little bit more difficult. When they looked at longevity studies, they found people that lived over 100 lived in inconvenient housing. And I thought that's an interesting way of saying that the house is kind of put together in a strange way that just a lot of stairs, there's some inconvenient places to go. The laundry might be someplace strange. Uh, the kitchen's awkward relative to the living room. So, you know, um, <clears throat> these were houses in, in areas, uh, developing nation where they kind of added houses parts of the house on the back. So it might've been up a hill a little bit to get to the bedroom. Uh, but in community housing, so these people were moving and they weren't sitting for very long for more than 20 minutes. If you wanna make an interesting rule, don't sit still for 20 minutes without moving. Uh, that's just a general rule of thumb uh, by the centurions, right? The people live over a hundred years old. They didn't move that much or that they didn't say still that, that often is the best way of saying it. Um, the, uh, other, you know, other things that help you know, in the exercise component that I like, of course, is basic mobility exercises, yoga. You know, one of the things that I feel chiropractic is very similar to is yoga. There's a, you know, an amount of movement beyond normal and held postures in yoga and chiropractic is more like a thrust for most of the techniques. There's, you know, lots of techniques, different styles, but we want to be able to get that body moving beyond normal an amount of degrees to ring it out. Yoga is an incredible science for that. We had a yoga instructor, Christine Zembrowski on a couple months back, and she's fantastic at uh, what she does. And one of the things you know we talked about is the benefits from circulation. Now, exercise enhances circulation. Um, yoga is that form of exercise. It goes after the two main components, 
mobility problems and weakness. Like you look at what is an old person, they're stiffer and weaker than they used to be unless they're really trying. And even if they are trying, that's kind of what aging does. You can slow it down with being active, doing the stuff I just mentioned will slow down that stiffening, weakening process. Um, so it's pretty exciting that we have a science, it's 5,000 years old yoga that slows down the two main components of aging, uh, physical components of aging, the, uh, the stiffness and the weakness. So incorporate that. Um, so that's one out of the five. Healthy eating, that's number two. A massive topic, right? A confusing, demoralizing topic for, mo for a lot of people. But if we're going to pick a healthy eating, it, it's a little, it varies, just like exercise varies. It varies from person to person. You got to be patient, be a little experimental, and figure out what you want to do. Um, <clears throat> biggest thing I, I people that tell me is, you know, eating healthy takes time. I got to cook everything. Uh, you know, I can't just buy that bag of uh, processed garbage and sit on the couch and eat this. Well, yeah, you're right. It takes some time. But how do we do that in an intelligent way? Meal plan. You know, uh, my associate doctor and I were talking, Dr. Nick, we're talking about how, how we meal, we meal prep or meal plan. So we prepare, and if you're going to make a, a meal, why not make five times the amount? It takes a little more time, but it doesn't take five times more time because you're heating up the same pan and you're making portions. He does that, I believe, on Sundays. Great idea, right? Take Sunday, put some music on, get the food cooking and, you know, portion that out into some nice glass containers. I like the glass with the Tupperware on top because glass is so nice and pure and store that in the fridge, you just stack them right up. And then you have meals uh, for, for the rest of the week. And you know, might wanna eat the same thing every day. So have a couple of different choices, go back and forth or add and subtract certain things, spice them differently. But when you have healthy meals that you've prepared, um, it, it's just fantastic. You're eating the, some of the healthiest food in the world and you're doing it uh, without much effort, relative effort compared to every day, trying to you know, put together a big salad and cook the, the rice and the broccoli and all the you know, chicken breast and all the healthy things we know. So that makes just plain eating, you know, uh, healthier, easier. Um, I like a low carb paleo diet personally. That fits my physiology really well, and I think most people. Um, if you just look at how the jungle was set up and how the um, early man ate, there was not a lot of easy carbohydrate. There's not a lot of simple carbohydrate out there. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of meat, protein, fat, and uh, the complex carbs more. Right, uh, you're going to be foraging for potatoes and beets. And you can be eating foods that uh, have a lot of fiber. So the net carbs are low. The glycemic index of that food is low. And that helps. And uh, the paleo diet works pretty good for me. There's all different versions of it. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, one of the things you want to look at is removing inflammatory foods. You can look up lists of inflammatory foods. Um, that's the topic. The, the word inflammation is, you know, uh, brought to the point of nausea almost. It's talked about so much. But inflammatory foods, they've been around a while. Um, the They've, they've, there's been a consciousness of them for a while, let's put it that way. I think it's important to find out not only what they are, but which ones affect you the most. In doing research for this, I was curious what the egg was currently considered. Is it inflammatory or not? And someone else had told me bananas are inflammatory. So in reading about it, <clears throat> bananas are not inflammatory. You can have allergies to them, but that's less common. Uh, an egg varied. Uh, depending on how someone was able to break it down, some people inflamed with eggs, other ones didn't. So that could be a trial and error food. In other words, you eat it and you see how you feel. And one of the ways of knowing if you're inflamed or eating an inflammatory food is what your sinus is doing and what are your joints doing. If you're getting turbinates or plug nose or your mouth breathing a lot or snoring, that is oftentimes a sign that you're eating inflammatory foods. 
joint pain is another one, chronic coughs, um, just feeling tired, just feeling dreamy, um, ear infections, infections in general, those are all signs the body's inflamed. You know, weight gain, of course, <clears throat> are all parts of it. So you want to take a look and remove inflammatory foods. Now, the list I have just, you know, simply you can look it up, but it's sugar, fried foods, refined and processed meats, gluten, dairy, and certain oils. And, uh, you know, everyone kind of gets into this, you know, coconut oil is good and, and olive oil is good. And you're absolutely right. <clears throat> but we're forgetting some of the bad oils. And these are the cheaper oils that you find in the processed foods. If you're cutting out processed foods, you're cutting out these uh, basic um, oils, cottonseed, sunflower uh, oil, soybean oil, canola oil, and corn oil. Those are some of the big inflammatory omega-6, <clears throat> omega-9 oils, because remember, the omega-3s are the good oils. And the <clears throat> what you want to add to your diet to bring that down is fruits, nuts, except for peanuts. Peanuts can be inflammatory. Uh, the fatty fish, um, salmon, of course, mackerel, sardines olive oil, coconut oil, and green leafy vegetables. Black seed oil, and I, and I just say, yeah, I said codfish. Black seed oil is an interesting one. So you want to add those to the diet, remove the other ones, and you're going to, in general, <clears throat> bring down the amount of uh, inflammation in your body. When you do that, you just plain feel better. Um, and you can test test these foods. You can take put them in, take them out, and see how you feel. So keep everything the same. Take a certain food, like maybe an egg, which I might do later. Um, take out and then put it back in. So the way to take it out is two weeks, like say with eggs, two weeks, no eggs. Uh, read the ingredients and stuff because eggs and a lot of things. On the 15th day, you make yourself a, you know, like a five egg omelet or something and down it goes. And then you just see how you feel over the next 48, certainly the next couple hours, but usually 24 to 48 hours, you see what are my sinuses doing? How do my joints feel? What's my energy like? How's my focus? That kind of stuff. Okay, so that's healthy eating. Number three out of the five. Meditation, prayer, mindfulness. New big word here, mindfulness, right? Um, meditation is something that scares a lot of people. We've talked about it on the podcast in the past. It's something that, you know, comes with, you know, people think of uh, people in loincloths and uh, different gurus uh, floating around and bending spoons. You know, it's all silly. But the um, meditation really is, it, it's, it's a state of peaceful um, reflection. It's a time to shut off the world and start focusing on your body, yourself. And um, I, I, I think prayer is more of an active meditation. It's similar. You're actually, you know, having a conversation with God versus um, going internally and shutting down uh, the, the thinking mechanism of the brain. Uh, the brain isn't just a calculating machine. It's also responsible for all the billions of health processes in our body. And when we turn off the, the machine part a little bit, the other parts can be active. So when we get in those states of mindfulness or prayer or meditation, our body can start to take care of itself a little more instead of doing the performance side. Um, so the simplest thing I can tell you about meditation is, you know, uh, I can't remember who the author was, but some, uh, some, some great man once said that all of our problems come from our inability to sit quietly for 20 minutes a day. So every problem mankind is facing comes from our inability to sit quietly for 20 minutes in like meditation or prayer or mindfulness. But let's say, so let's say 20 minutes. What I want people to do is start paying attention to their breath. So the first thing is nasal breathing. We talked about that too. Nasal breathing makes gases. Your turbinates make healthy gases. Your mouth does not do that. 
So you want to keep your mouth closed and you're going to hear a lot of different things on that. You get into meditation videos and stuff and you talk about chest and abdomen and nasal and mouth and in and out and holding and it's all good stuff. But for this, I'm just going to simplify and say our nose only on this. Okay. So we're going to breathe in in four seconds, breathe out in eight seconds and just be aware of the body expanding and contracting. Feel the temperature of the air going in your nostrils, fill your lungs up, feel it stretching your ribs pushing down in your intestines the diaphragm as it goes down is an intestinal massager so you want to push that down and you want that that abdomen to push out i'm not as big into chest breathing i like abdominal breaths i like nasal abdominal breaths that's what i find through research is uh, found to be the most healthy when you're doing this when you're concentrating on your breath it makes you go internal and it gets you doing the now right what's more important than the now if you want good futures you better have quality nows do good things now it improves the likelihood of a good future. So we want to have that. And then we also want to pay attention to our pulse. So once you kind of master that the breath is going in in four seconds, out in eight, and you're someplace comfortable. I didn't touch on that. I, one of my favorite places to meditate is in my car in a parking lot where I'm unlikely to be disturbed and the phone's either off or not with me. And uh, there's no one to bother me because I'm always like, oh, if I'm home, I might uh, have a family member or something need my attention or... Uh, I might think of a project that, oh my God, I better call that person back. But if I'm in my car without my phone, there isn't much I can do but do the meditation. That's just a, one idea that works for me. So nasal breaths, then our pulse, right? Start to feel your pulse. If you want to start by feeling your wrist or your throat or find a pulse in your body, I think everybody should be able to find a pulse in the wrist. It's uh, right by your thumb, right behind your thumb on your wrist. Uh, play around with that till you find it. <clears throat> and feel that. And then when you get quiet, you'll feel that pulse in different parts of your body, sometimes in your temples, in your chest, in your throat, because the heart is beating blood and that blood is pushed and it stretches the arteries of our body. And those are that arterial stretch you can feel if you're quiet and reflective enough. And then you start to have the breath and the pulse going. And once again, you're internal and it pulls you in to the present moment. So when that happens we're turning on a part of us that is the called the parasympathetic it's the healing side of the body it heals and digests food the sympathetic is the performance side so when we turn down the sympathetic because we're turning off performance for a minute for 20 minutes let's say and we turn on the parasympathetic where our body goes into a healing state so the more of our neurology is being turned on and dedicated to healing our body versus our body performing that's so it's pretty magical. Some people use music in the background for this. Um, I tend not to. I would love pure silence. Sometimes it's hard to find. So you might want to put on, you know, from anything from crickets to babbling brooks to singing bowls to oming. There, there's a lot of apps you can find for that, of course, right online. Um, so basically, that's what I want you to be able to realize. And it's extremely important to do this. This is an ancient practice. And it's something that, you know, anything that's been around a while has been tested by time. And the time test on this is near flawless. So get yourself involved in 20 minutes a day. Morning meditations, I think, are more powerful because you're still kind of in that dreamy state. Um, the brain waves are closer. Sleep and, and meditation brain waves are not the same, but they're closer. So uh, it's easy. I've, I've slid off my bed at times. So I'm kneeling on the floor and I got my chest and my arms on the bed and just turn my head to the side. And um, I get into that nasal and then the heart rate and get it going. So that's number three. Number four, vitamins, minerals, and herbal products. Wow, <clears throat> talk about a giant 
topic, uh, giant uh, disaster of a mess that's been marketed to us in, in insane ways. Um, it's right there, right? Vitamins, minerals, and herbals. I find that people have certain deficiencies. We have deficiencies in certain minerals and vitamins and uh, fats because our modern diet has been changed. The agricultural revolution changed how we've eaten and what's healthy has been a massive bizarro topic for a long time. But when I see people's deficiencies over the years, I see some commonalities because of that dietary thing. And I'm gonna put it into a, a series of things here, real simple. The most common deficiencies. So things we should add from supplements, you know, always get stuff from food, but <clears throat> even when you try pretty hard, you can still miss a few things. Omega-3s, we talked about it a second ago, um, the oils, the proper oils, fish oil is, is probably the simplest, krill oil um, are, are great sources of omega-3. So an oil, an essential fatty acid, omega-3 fatty acid. Um, <clears throat> number two in that area, vitamin C. We tend not to get C, vitamin C in the amounts that uh, is healthy enough to heal our bodies. Uh, vitamin C does a million things. I won't bore you with the list, but a million things. And in that one, you want, um, with fish oil, it's like 500, like a teaspoon, tablespoon, somewhere in there, depending on your body mass, you can look it up. Vitamin C, two to 6,000, 2,000 to 6,000 milligrams per day. Always divide your vitamin C throughout the day. Um, I'm going to give you the range here because I want you to just, I want you to look deeper because everyone's different. I'm not going to tell you to take this for you because there's a lot of people listening. They all have different needs, but I'll give you the, the range. So you have somewhere, you know, to start off, you can start at the bottom if you'd like to be safe. Um, so 2,000 to 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C in divided doses throughout the day. Eat it with vitamin C foods if you can. Magnesium, 250 to 500 milligrams. Magnesium is a natural muscle relaxant. It works with migraines. It helps people relax. That one's a good one to take um, sometime before bed because that'll help you sleep a little deeper. It also loosens the bowel. So if you're constipated, it's like a miracle. And if you tend to have diarrhea, it's kind of a curse. So go easier. Magnesium comes in many forms. Magnesium oxalate is the least likely to cause diarrhea or loosening of the bowel. And um, so keep that in mind, stay close to home when you're experimenting with that. Vitamin D, uh, you know, if there's one thing I've said too many times that make myself crazy is tell, talking, people about, talking to people about vitamin D. Why is it so important? Well, it's the sunshine, right? And if we're inside houses in the winter, because we're not smart enough to be nomadic and get out of here, um, sitting in Buffalo right now in a nice cold gray day. Um, we end up with vitamin C, uh, vitamin D deficiencies, the rampant. And if you have darker skin, you're going to have vitamin D deficiencies even worse. A black person in the Northeast who lives a normal life, they're out in the summer and they're in, in the winter, is guaranteed to be deficient. Any of my patients with darker skin, I make sure that they get their vitamin D. I make everybody, I harp on everybody about this but certainly uh, people with darker skin. If you have pretty dark skin, you can have a 30 SPF. So a 30 sun protection factor built into your skin. And for you to make vitamin D is much harder because you kind of block the sun because your ancestors came from near the equator, most likely. And uh, where you had to block some of the sun and then some got in and you got your optimum vitamin D in that scenario. That's 2,000 to 10,000 international units a day, two to 10,000 international units. So it's, it, it sounds like a giant number, but it's actually kind of a smaller pill. It's not because you know, it's in a different form. Zinc. Zinc's one of the most deficient minerals up there with magnesium and zinc's responsible for your immune system, sexual health, and what's more important right now than our immune system. And that's 30 to 50 milligrams per day. Now eat that one with food. I'll say that again, zinc with food. 
I made a mistake one time. I swallowed a 30 or 50 milligram capsule of, of zinc, got on an airplane, and I was bent over in stomach pain like I couldn't believe. It can be a stomach irritant. It is for me. But with food, I don't feel anything. It just needs a little buffering in there, um, you know, something to occupy. And last but certainly not least in the vitamin and mineral category, digestive enzymes. It falls into that category. It's really a separate category being an enzyme. But you want to be able to help yourself break your food down. Digestive enzymes come in little pills, and you can get the kind that break down carbohydrate, protein, and fat. Just read the bottle. Yeah. And you'll see, um, I like the ones by Da Vinci. They make a great one. That's what I sell in my office. Da Vinci makes a really uh, digestible digestive enzyme. In other words, it doesn't cause a lot of stomach upset or anything like that. Like some of them can cause gas and bloating and stuff like that. These tend not to do that. Um, and you take those with any significant meal. If you're going to have a salad, it wouldn't bother. But if you're going to have a challenging meal, uh, lots of different spices and the body can identify what it's eating and can't cue the proper enzymes. I would go with uh, digestive enzymes uh, with that meal. Doesn't have to be with every meal. And it also under you know vitamin and minerals, herbals is herbals. So you know in that category, there's hundreds of them, right? Chinese herbology is a it's a massive science. Takes years to master it. But I'm going to go over some of the ones that I think are real popular and um, sort of like the master ones. Uh, hormone health uh, ashwagandha. Uh, to me, that's the simplest one to take. It's considered an adaptogen, which means it kind of normalizes the physiology. I take it, my wife takes it. I think for anybody over 40 years old, this thing is a, an amazing herbal. It just kind of tapers everything and um, it, it enhances testosterone a little bit. And uh, you know, as you may know from other podcasts, if you're listening to these, um, women need testosterone well, uh, very, very much. It, it helps them as well, not in the same amounts that men do, but a lot of times it's very low in women. And I've seen um, you know, functional medicine doctors actually, you know, supplement women with testosterone and they feel fantastic. So you might want to look into that if you're having a lot of health challenges. Uh, ginger, ginger is a digestive aid, plus it's tasty. Now, I love the taste of ginger personally. I put it in my smoothies. I always get it when I eat sushi. Uh, ginger is, uh, so it helps you break your food down. It's also anti-inflammatory. Turmeric, uh, turmeric, that pronunciation evades me. I hear it said both ways. Tomato, tomato, same kind of idea here. But Turmeric, when you cook it with black pepper, turns into curcumin or releases curcumin. Curcumin is uh, one of those anti-inflammatory sort of miracle herbal products, uh, works with heart disease. Um, there's, there's hints that it does things with cancer as well. So you want to make sure that uh, you're getting turmeric in your diet. You can cook with that one. You don't have to um, supplement that in, in, in milligrams. You can. You can buy curcumin because um, they, they cook it out of the turmeric for you. Um, always a good idea. Uh, ginseng, ancient energy, and a uh, bit of mild aphrodisiac as well. Uh, there's a couple different forms. Siberian ginseng is the one that I tend to uh, recommend. It's a little bit different. Garlic, garlic's antiviral. Uh, garlic has multiple, multiple health benefits. It's good for circulation. That's something, once again, cook with garlic. You can take garlic capsules, but cook with it. Uh, oil of oregano. Oregano, you know, growing up in an Italian household was a pretty uh, standard herb, uh, spice. And uh, the oil of oregano when concentrated actually kills parasites. It's known to be very good with yeast infections and um, any kind of like sugar cravings. A lot of the um, sort of the not so path, the pathogenic uh, microorganisms are uh, associated with, you know, feeding off of refined sugars. So if you eat a lot of refined sugars, they start to reproduce and we end up with big problems having to do with our um, gut flora, right? Normalization of the gut flora. And uh, 
the last on the list, and I could go on forever, but I'm just trying to spare you, is uh, choline. Acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter, and choline is what you would want to take as a supplement. That one's for brain health. We did something on intelligence, uh, I think the last podcast, the one before, uh, how to stimulate uh, your intellect. And in that podcast, we talked about choline and some other things, but you know, this this one's pretty good. It it actually really kind of feels like you got kicked a little bit. It feels good um, when you take choline, and that's something that you would take in the morning because that's uh, you don't want to go to bed all pepped up. So uh, that's one. You know, people with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and memory loss, uh, uh, kind of a big age one, right? A lot of people take it when they're younger just to you know get a get a big charge too. So it's uh, something to look into is choline as well. And number five, um, mental health. Massive topic again, right? And that's why I did this. I'm trying to summarize things. Our, our mental health has a lot to do <clears throat> with the formative years of our lives. And the first, you know, then those are age zero to seven of the big years. Um, after that, obviously, we're still formative years till I don't know what age they consider, you know, where we kind of like can't teach the dog new tricks. You really, the abuses and stuff you get in don't go as thick and deep and destroy you because your base is formed and you're pretty solid at that point. Um, but I, one of the things I want people to look at with, with their mental health is a sense of purpose. I have people tell me, you know, once in a while uh, they're depressed and their life is meaningless. And one of the things I learned from reading Jordan Peterson's work is that your sense of purpose is related to the amount of responsibility you have. Think of this example, you know, you're, you're wandering through life with not a lot of responsibility. You don't have any kids, you don't have a big, interesting job, maybe you don't have a mate, and your life feels like, you know, okay, I can go ahead and fun anytime I want, but I really don't have a lot of meaning. And then you have a child. Well, now you have responsibility, and your meaning in life goes up because you have to do things to take care of this child. Um, in relationships, deeper relationships have you know, give people more meaning. So the job that's uh, important, uh, taking care of people, um, I get great meaning from the work I do, and but it's responsibility, right? I'm responsible for people that come in my office, directing them to be healthier. So that gives me meaning. So the relationship between meaning and responsibility, if you feel like your life is meaningless, go pick something heavy up, right? That grab something that is uh, challenging and uh, something that's uh, that's that's gives your body and your mind a challenge will give you more meaning. So point one, point two, you know, goal setting. I think people should have in front of them something to do, something to go towards. And that goal should be something that gives you energy. And when you goal set, have action steps. So you put down a goal and then you say, okay, here's five action steps. And the action steps should be simple and easy to do. The goal should be kind of big. Um, if you've got a lot of energy, make a giant goal. If you don't, if you're depressed and you're barely surviving, <clears throat> make it a small goal. A small goal might be going shopping and being able to talk to a few people where you're in the supermarket. Uh, big goal would be like, you know, curing cancer, right? So, you know, whatever, whatever you can handle, you start with and then you work your way up because these things tend to give you energy. When you set goals and you achieve them, you start to become, you know, uh, very, very energetic. Um, big word in mental health is forgiveness. I think that, you know, forgiving ourselves sometimes, forgiving others, um, that's a big one because some people have been put through things that are so horrific to forgive the person that put them through that it seems impossible. They tried, they can't, can't let it go, you know, and I get that, but that is something that you have to do if you want to be healthy and happy. You can try to forget it, but if it's really big, it's going to be hard to forget. It's going to come up, you know, there'll be days where you don't think about it, then it's going to pop back in your head. You're going to have cues and triggers uh, to that event, let's say. 
But when you forgive that person, it doesn't mean you think that person's fine. It just means you're letting that person go. You're no longer going to be attached to that situation or that person. And to me, that's a, it's a difficult one. If it was easy, everybody would have already done it, right? But I just want people to be aware of that's something that oftentimes just continually drains and destroys people is their, their continued hatred or anger towards someone that they can't forgive. I know it's easier said than done. You know, I really do know that. But I just want it out there. Um, when I brought this topic up to people that have been through a lot of abuse, uh, you know, I get some rage and uh, and I get it. I get why you're mad that I'm saying this, because I'm asking you to do something you've tried to do and failed at, uh, most likely. But it's something you should at least continue to work on. Uh, community. Uh, developing a community around uh, habits and things that you enjoy is important. I think one of the ups and downs of uh, the Internet is people have been able to surround themselves with groups of people that are like-minded. There's a down to that, creates isolation, and sometimes you're getting in a group that's, you know, violent and uh, horrifying. But most of the time, you know, if you uh, if you drive around in a Mustang and you want to join the Mustang Club, you can look them up and you can go to the mall parking lot and everybody can talk about their Mustang. So you can have a great time, right? So being getting yourself in a community of people that are somewhat like-minded, because I don't think humans are meant to live in isolation. Um, if the pandemic's taught us anything, let it be that, right? The horrifying uh, lockdowns and uh, ideas here. So getting involved in uh, community is interesting and important. Also, you know, be a decent listener and also a decent communicator. I try to speak very concisely. I try to communicate at a high level, the highest level I can at the uh, tedium of some people. I want to make sure I get my point across. And if you're a patient in my office, you know, sometimes I run behind because I'm in there uh, communicating so precisely for too long and uh you know time's flying by but i want to make sure that people understand and i want you to be able to develop a skill of communicating properly men are i, I think born to not communicate at the level i'm an exception probably but not to communicate at the level that women communicate um i've heard that women speak seven thousand more words per day which uh, you know i live in a house of uh, i have three daughters and a wife so believe me i i, I think that's really true i can uh, test to the seven thousand you know times four okay um, but yeah, listening to each other and being a good listener and being a communi good communicator. What's a great conversation? It's two ways. It's not someone monopolizing and it's not someone with nothing to say. It's, it's really, and, and obviously it's not even, it's not always even. I have very quiet friends that they, they want me to do more of the talking and I have chatty friends and I have to keep muting myself and it's difficult because it's not natural for me. Um, but I make sure, you know, I, I become a good, I develop good listening skills and I, I continue to work on that because that's not my nature, but I think I'm, I think I'm good at it. I hope I am. Um, one of the other things is to make sure that, you know, there's this whole topic about influencers and, and I see younger people being influenced by influencers. Um, I, I won't mention names, but there's some people out there that people just listen to what they have to say and they really don't come from any real intelligence uh, research or skill set. And I, I, I hope you'll replace your influencers with somebody that is more of a mentor, someone in that field that really has achieved. And, and, and go to the great authors, go to the great thinkers. Um, just because someone has fame in whatever strange way, or, or maybe they, they deserve some of that fame, um, they, they can influence your thoughts and your behaviors and really look at their credentials and who's paying them and follow the money because uh, it's not in your best interest. I, I like I like mentors more and especially the ones that have passed away because they're, notice they're not making any money anymore. So a lot of times what they've said, it could have been based on 
uh, something like that. But at least it's, you know, it's, it stood the test of time if it's still hanging around. So try to do that. Um, one of the other things is try to find keywords that give you energy. Um, I, I went into a seminar one time and it was about de-stressing your life and performing optimally. A good friend of mine put it together. It's very fascinating. And they spent a lot of time finding three words that gave you energy and to write something called the worthy ideal, which is a four sentence sort of mission statement that you, know, you can put together. And we went through hundreds of words to find the three words that gave you energy that you didn't know what time it was when you were involved in uh, doing this uh, task or the, uh, being a part of this uh, word. And I'll share mine with you in a second. And um, it doesn't matter if you're getting paid or not, right? So in other words, it gives you energy. You don't care what, you can't even tell what kind of time is going by, like time's flying usually. And you're not doing it for cash. You're doing it because the energy and the time fly by, it just makes you feel good. Mine was to teach, inspire, and heal. Those are the words that I found. I still find those to be very energizing words. If I'm teaching something, that's why I do these podcasts, I get a kick out of it. Inspiring somebody or, create, or being part of a healing equation. I don't pretend to be God. I don't pretend to heal people by waving um, wands around. But if I can lead people to behaviors that are associated with healing, um, I feel like I'm doing some good and it gives me energy. I can do that, uh, you know, on vacation. I can do that, <clears throat> you know, standing in line at the bank, doesn't matter. I tend to teach, inspire, and heal everywhere I go as much as I can. Uh, sometimes, you know, who, uh, those are difficult tasks, but I do my best to do that. So that's it. So five ways to boost your health. You want to get moving. You want to eat healthy. You want to make sure that you're spending some time in meditation and prayer. You want to hit the highlights of the vitamins and minerals and herbal products. You know, I'll repeat those fish oil, vitamin C, magnesium, vitamin D, zinc, digestive enzymes. And you want to spend some time, you know, searching and, and getting a deeper purpose in life and um, making sure that uh, you're, you're, you're finding words, energy words and involving yourself in those. I try to involve myself in the teaching, inspiring and healing as much as I possibly can all the time. Because when I'm doing those things, I feel the, I feel the best uh, that I can be. And you know, living in the now as well, right? One of my favorite books I've mentioned before is The Power of Now. Because imagine if you're living now and you're doing quality things now, think of how that increases the likelihood that your future is better. You do smart things now, your future tends to be better. Um, you, no one has a guaranteed future. We don't know what's going on. But we can increase the likelihood, and that's the best we can do, that our future gets better by doing quality things now. And we can learn from the past, but a lot of people are stuck in it. I think humans are stuck in the past way more than what is beneficial. So letting go of the past, not spending all too much time in the future, um, spending our time right now in the present moment, present consciousness, uh, makes us the healthiest and happiest we can be. So that's it for today, guys. Hey, if you like these podcasts, give it a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Go to ChristopherUniversity.com. That's the uh, where all this stuff is connected to. Uh, we have a class, 28 Days of Optimum Health. You can uh, you can purchase. Uh, we're putting some products on there, so we have uh, you know so people can get some guidance on you know what's a good supplement exercise device. We're working on that as we speak. There's also blogs on there, recipes. So ChristopherUniversity.com, great place to go. And uh, hey, stay healthy. We'll talk soon.